are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope everybody's having a wonderful afternoon. We appreciate you joining us on the show. Lance, how's your Thursday going, my man? It's been going pretty good, Noah. I got myself a haircut. I feel fresh. I feel faded up. Let's get this thing going, man. I'm missing the haircut? Yeah, I'm sorry. It wasn't the best haircut in the world, but I mean, I'm just happy that I finally got my haircut. I've not, it's been so long, dude. It's been so long. My hair looked nasty uh, earlier this morning. My last day away from home base in Auburn, Alabama. I'll be back tomorrow with everybody still joining you via Skype, but I don't get to see the new fresh the new fresh cut, man. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing that tomorrow. But let's open up the show today. A little bit of talk about SECB today as we briefly broached this topic yesterday. And I want to talk about it just for a couple minutes here to open up the show. But what does Bo Nix and Owen Papo going to media days tell us not only about this coaching staff, but about these two players, about the team, whatever. What what does it tell us about these guys going? Because traditionally, this has been a privilege that has been offered to seniors in the past. You got two juniors going this year. Right, right. And and you would have thought, you know, potentially Harson would have would have done what Auburn did did traditionally in the past, which is bring a senior like Shivers along. But I think it's trying to prove a point in the fact that this coaching staff is confident in Bo Nix and that they they believe that he's he's our guy he's QB number one heading into the fall um, and while and I kind of feel bad for TJ Finley just a little bit because based on what I understand about his recruitment he wasn't necessarily promised anything but he was kind of told that he was going to get a shot at, at getting that starting quarterback position but I think selecting Bo Nix for media days tells us that this coaching staff has a lot of faith in Nix and then Owen Papo I mean you could have chosen Smoke Monday, but, you know, Papo has been such a reliable linebacker for us. He's been fantastic, and he's the heart of that defense. And you you could say that Smoke is the vocal leader, and then Owen is that is the heart of that defense. So I really like the selection there. I love Owen Papo as a player. Um, I think he's been fantastic at Auburn. So I think it just tells us that this coaching staff is really confident in Bo Nix, and they chose their, their I feel like, their best leader. On, on the defense, I'm not saying that Smoke's a bad leader. I'm just saying that I think I think Owen Papa was a really good selection. So uh, there's I don't think there's a ton to glean from it. But I will say this. The fact that they didn't bring a senior for the first time in quite some time is shocking to me. Um, I, you know, they could have brought Shivers and I would have been okay with it. But it's it, it would have been a bigger storyline had Knicks not gotten picked. So I think they just kind of went the safe route and chose him. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What does Bo Nix's selection to SEC Media Days tell you? What What is that? What, what comes to mind now that Bo Nix has been selected? I said this on yesterday's show. Like you just said, it would have been a bigger story had he had he not be selected, right? If, if he was right. not going to SEC Media Days, it would have been a bigger story and people would have actually probably been wondering, well, is this guy really not 
QB1. It would have left that door open. But equally, though, I'm not as ready to say, maybe maybe as you are, and maybe I'm misunderstanding you, I don't know if I'm as ready to say that there's not a quarterback battle coming in the fall. This may just be the coaching staff trying to control the message, maybe. I think that's a fair way to assess it. And I, I know that it, it, for me, it's just kind of speculating what could potentially be going on. But but I mean, they brought TJ Finley on for a reason. And, and TJ Finley believed that he was going to go out there and he was going to compete for that starting job. So you may be right. There actually may be a quarterback battle going on behind the scenes. And, and like you said, they're just trying to control the message that they're putting out to the media, because if if they if they give the indication that there are not necessarily issues, but there's a battle at that position going on. Uh, the the media may take that and run with it in in a wrong direction. So yeah, I, I definitely think that could be a possibility. That's for sure for sure uh, something that could be going on. Heck, I think it's likely that it's going on. With that being said, though, the question will be asked. I'm sure at, yeah. at some point during media days, the question will be asked about Bo Nix's position in the quarterback room versus T.J. Finley now arriving on campus. Maybe his thoughts on T.J. Finley's recruitment. Is there a quarterback battle going on? I'm sure someone will ask the question. And I will be very curious to see what his response is. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all three of these guys handle some of the questions that are going to be thrown at them because there's uh, there's going to be there's going to be quite a bit. Nix is probably going to be asked about his relationship with Harson. He's probably going to be asked about the scheme. His confidence. Oh, has the easiest job out of all. Yeah, Nix is going to be asked about the offensive line. Uh, he's going to be asked about you know how does he feel about T.J. Finley. He's going to be asked how do you improve? Uh, how do you improve? Like how do you get better as a quarterback? Your mechanics, how are they going? Uh, different things like that. So Nix is going to be put in the pressure cooker by, by the media, and it's going to be interesting to see how he comes out of it because there there are a lot of there are a lot of questions that he's going to have to dance his way around. Fun show planned for everybody today. We're going to talk about expectations for Brian Harson, not just wins and losses. We'll talk about that for a sizable portion of today's show. We want you to call in, text in. What are your expectations for him? And what should the expectation be for Brian Harson? If your expectations maybe deviate from what you think the, the average is out there. Also going to wrap up our Auburn football schedule analysis series today. We'll talk about toughest matchups, easiest matchups. Is there a game that Auburn could trip up in that we think they shouldn't? Is there a team that Auburn could beat that we also think that the average the average predictor out there does not expect Auburn to, uh, to be able to snatch one of those teams up? So we got a full show for everybody today here on On the Line. Let's get into that expectations conversation what should the expectations be for Brian Harson in his first season? And let's start it off with wins and losses. That's the most obvious way to interpret that question. Wins and losses. What should the expectations be for Brian Harson in his first year? You're talking about like just the bare minimum expectations. Yes. What expectation, what standard does Brian Harson have to meet to satisfy this, this community, this fan base? Well, you know, honestly, uh, it's it'd be really it's tough to say eight and four because I feel like at the same time, if we go eight and four and we lose to the teams that we've been losing to for such a long time now, a lot of the fan base because we'll they're be so, angry. yeah they're so impatient they'll just be upset they'll be like well we got a guy that's doing the same thing that Malzahn did but in for me personally eight and four or higher I'm very happy with but for what what sh- the expectation yeah that's what the expectation should be i think it should be 8 and 4 or better i think that's what it should be now is the fan base going to be happy about that i don't know because that would probably mean losses to alabama georgia potentially lsu or a&m 
and uh, and uh, that yeah, people would not be happy about that. Eight and four is at least the baseline for me. And not only have I said oftentimes throughout the spring and into the summer and whatnot, as we predict the upcoming year, oftentimes I've said Auburn fans should expect eight wins this year at least. Like Auburn will win at least eight games. I think this team is that good that they could even eclipse that and get to nine. People will think I'm crazy if I say 10, but I do think this team will be competitive and pretty much every single one of its football games, even when it loses, you break down the schedule there and you say losses to Georgia and Alabama, there's two right there. And then you have three other games where I think Auburn is as talented as those teams, thus drawing a 50-50 contest with those teams. of, of the ball could bounce either way, one of those two teams could win. And those games would be at Penn State, at LSU, and at Texas A&M. If you take one of those wins – you're sitting at eight and four. If you just get one out of those three, if you go one and two against those opponents, and we broke down those three teams, that's very doable. Throughout this Auburn football schedule analysis series, we've taken a look at all three of those teams. That's very doable for Auburn to at least go one and two against Penn State, LSU, and AM. In fact, with how talented this football team is, Auburn fans should expect that as the standard. There's too much talent on this football team for Auburn to not find a way to at least beat one of those schools where Auburn has beaten A&M every other year, has beaten LSU every other year. Now, they haven't had a great track record in Baton Rouge, but you look at how bad they beat LSU last year. There's no reason why that shouldn't be a competitive ball game in Baton Rouge. And then Penn State's coming off of a down year where you and I aren't so certain if they're actually going to rebound as much as the average predictor would expect Penn State to rebound to. That's how you get to 8-4. and four. You lose to Bama and Georgia, and then you beat one of these three teams, Penn State, LSU, and Texas A&M. Now, you have to avoid losing to teams that Auburn currently has sizable win streaks over. You can't lose to Mississippi State. You can't lose to South Carolina. You can't lose to Ole Miss. You can't lose to Arkansas. But I'm okay, despite the fact that there are a lot of people out there predicting Auburn to finish behind Ole Miss in the SEC West. I am okay. I am absolutely okay with saying you should expect the Auburn Tigers with consistency to beat the Ole Miss Rebels, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, the South Carolina Gamecocks, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Why? Because they're more talented than they are. And if you brought in a new coaching staff that you're all of a sudden going to lower the standard for just because it's their first year, you, you don't have enough confidence in their ability to lead this team to beat inferior programs. Auburn is a superior program to those universities and those teams inside the SEC West, and you should expect to beat them with consistency. There's a reason why there's a five-game win streak against like three of those teams that I just named. Yeah, something that that you mentioned that I really really like is when you look at Auburn's talent compared to some of these other teams in the SEC West. You know, specifically Ole Miss. I feel like people that are trendy on them and people that are picking them. And I know I said earlier, it, it, like preseason, like way too early, that I thought Ole Miss could potentially win win ten games. But as as we draw closer to the season, you know, you I feel like pe- people in the media are 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 just kind of moving past like some glaring weaknesses for Ole Miss like they're just kind of feeling trendy on them and they just want to pick them but they're 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 brushing past the glaring weaknesses and specifically for Ole Miss it's the defense and whenever you look at a team like Auburn there's not a specific weakness on their squad 
it's just it, it it's just that 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 they're breaking in a new head coach and something that you and I have said before on this show earlier this offseason if Malzahn was coaching this team uh Athlon probably wouldn't have him at 7 and 5 they'd probably have him at 8 and 4 9 and 3 simply because there's there's returning production coming back the re- the rest of the SEC East is or West rather is literally just a crapshoot right now and Auburn has a quarterback They've got a new offensive coordinator that's going to make him better. They've got a potential Heisman candidate running back in the backfield. They're going to have to break in some new receivers, but they just got a five-star transfer from Georgia. Like, they've got talent on this roster. Like, they're a good competitive team. There's not a whole lot of weakness to to really see compared to some of these other schools like Ole Miss where that defense is so bad. It's not like they're just going to get better overnight. Like, they're going to let up points. And whenever you look at a team like Auburn compared to the Rebels and you look at their schedules, it's like, man, Auburn is is way more talented than some of these other teams. Like you mentioned, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, uh, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Ole Miss. Those four, those four teams right there. I mean, Auburn should be either beat them or be at least extremely competitive against them. So eight and four, I think, is the standard. And anything past that, I think Auburn fans should be happy with. But like you mentioned, also one and two against Penn State, uh, LSU, and Texas A and M. That is also very, very doable. And honestly, you should be disappointed if you didn't achieve it because I think Malzahn would have been able to achieve that this year. Mm-hmm. But let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. We got Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, what's up? Hey, bud. Let me tell you, uh, I think Arson, you know, he made a wise decision picking Bo Nix because I feel Bo Nix is the uh, – wasn't he a captain of the team? Last season, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you pick him? Uh, um, yeah, we have so many losses going on right now. Bo Nix would be an excellent choice to go to media day. Uh, with that being said, Finley, uh, I watched him his first year. I, I mean, when I first saw Finley at LSU, I swear I, I thought I was seeing a, uh, a clone of uh, Cam Newton, but it didn't pan out too good for him at LSU his first year. But, you know, it, neither did Cam Newton at Florida. And uh, he got beat out. And he transferred to a, to a junior college. But anyway, yeah, picking Bo Nix is absolutely the right decision to make here because if he hadn't picked Bo Nix, what would that have done to Bo Nix mentally? Mm-hmm. You know, football is just not a physical game. It's a mental game also. And going into the fall, if Bo Nix is not at media day, I mean, Finley's got the upper hand automatically. Um but with that being said, um, I got a, another topic to talk about. If you guys have got time for it, go for it. Uh, when you guys have that, what's on tonight? Sure. You mentioned all all the TV programs. Do you ever, you guys ever mention the College Bowl? Um, I I hop online and I look and I scan to see when stuff is when stuff is coming on TV. And I haven't I didn't see much out there about the College Bowl. So I did not include that. Do you have any idea what it is? Um, go ahead, tell us about it. I think it's a game oh. show with Peyton Manning, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and Auburn's in the semifinals of it. Absolutely, it comes on Tuesday night on, on one of the networks. I don't. I think it's either NBC or or ABC. I'm it, not it's sure NBC. Which. NBC, okay. But anyway, yeah, I was going to mention Florida's in the finals. I mean, not Florida. Auburn is in the finals. They beat Ole Miss uh, Tuesday night. They did, huh? 
Yeah, you know, so Spectre, Alabama, when you said college ball, I thought you were talking about some like college all-star game. And I was like, aren't we like really far past that? Like, and then it just, it rang yeah. a bell. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think you were just a thought in somebody's imagination then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. College, but yeah, that college game with the pros, it was something else. Anyway. Yeah. I just want you to mention that in the coming days, because I don't think they'll be, I won't be playing next week, but, uh, They'll also be, uh, in the coming weeks, they'll be playing somebody in College Bowl. That's big. Auburn represent, right? Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, I think that College Bowl is, is like the first – I think Jeopardy actually was a spinoff of the College Bowl because College Bowl was in the 50s as a game show on, on TV, black and white. And I, I didn't think know Jeopardy, that. I know they've yeah, had think, like a sports Jeopardy before that Dan Patrick hosts. And I've really enjoyed watching that in the past, but I didn't know that it, that it goes that far back. Oh, yeah, it's way back when, back in the 50s, I think it was a game show. And Jeff, uh, like I said, I think Jeopardy would, might, have, might have been a spinoff of that. But anyway, guys, watch it next Tuesday. Tell me what you think, and uh, I'll, I'll call you back. Will do. Uh, that's, that's my thing on Bo Nix, though. If he hadn't picked Bo Nix, that would have been some serious problems. I 100% agree. You got to make sure that you control the narrative, and and having Bo Nix there allows you to control it. If if you don't, then it doesn't. Spectre, I appreciate it, my man. See you. That was Spectre on the line with us. Yeah, guys, I, I don't know why I had a um, massive uh, mental lapse. I'm the TV guy, and I forgot what College Bowl was. Yeah, I'd seen I'd seen ads for it. I haven't actually sat down and watched it, but I knew Ole Miss and Auburn were playing in the semis. Uh, I didn't know that Auburn beat them in, in their uh, they're in the finals. So that's exciting, man. That's exciting. Well, for some reason, I was thinking some like high school all star football game or something like that. I was yeah. like, there's nothing like that on TV right now. What? <laughs> I was like, what is going on? You're now? like, and I know oh, what's on TV tonight. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm the TV guy. Just lost a lot of credibility. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. At Fox Sports Central Alabama, number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us at Dog Pound. For Brian Harson in his first football season at the helm for the Auburn Tigers. We'll continue that conversation throughout the show, but now we're going to switch over to a weekly game we play or a weekly segment we do every Thursday here on On the Line, playing the lines. And today we're going to take a look at some college football lines here or college football spreads for conference champions this year and the mm-hmm. odds in which these teams have been predicted to win their conference championships this upcoming year. We've got all the power conferences here via Bavada. So, Lance, we're going to go through that group, and we're going to talk about these and see, you know, do we agree with it? Is there any shuffling of the packing order? Here we are. Is there any dark horses that you like? Things like that. So let's start off, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go in alphabetical order here. ACC Atlantic Coast Conference Clemson at minus 800 leading the pack. Then next is Miami at plus 700, North Carolina at plus 750, NC State at 1,800, Louisville at 2,500, Virginia Tech at 28, Virginia 35, Florida State 44, Boston College 5, Pittsburgh 6, Georgia Tech 77, Wake Forest 10 grand, Duke 15, and Syracuse 15. 
Well, I'll say right off the bat, I'm surprised that Florida State is as low as they are. And I know Florida State's not been playing well as of late, but, you know, I'm, I'm actually surprised they're as high as they are. Really? <laughs> Where how, how far down on the list are they? Are they like six, six in the in uh, order of finish or eighth like best odds out of 14? Yeah, eighth best, eighth best odds out of 14. I would have put them at like I would have put them at like six. I think that I think that's fair. Um, but then something else that I'm a little surprised about is that, uh, you know, we, everybody loves Sam Howell so much. I'm surprised that they are uh, not the favorite to win or they're not the favorite over Miami. Of course, I've talked about how We're excited I am. Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked about how excited I am uh, about this Miami squad. But that means they're not predicted to win the Coastal. And that means they're that Miami's predicted to uh, play in the ACC title game. But Clemson's projected to win it, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I like Clemson at the top. I think that's fair. Um I would put Miami at at two. I would have them winning the Coastal and, and playing Clemson in the in in the title game right now. And I think it's fair to say that North Carolina, just based on the fact that they all they bring back uh, in, in in my mind, I think it, it is uh, Sam Howell. They lost their two running backs. They lost a couple of really talented receivers. Um, so the question this season is, you know, he's really really good, but who's he going to throw to? It's just they've got a lot of unproven guys. And I also something else I want to note is I'm I'm. Surprised that NC State is as high as they are, but I know that they do bring back a lot of starters from last year's team. I think an issue that they have right now is they haven't found a quarterback. They kind of went back and forth because of injury last season, and I don't know if they've named a starter this season. They went back and forth between uh, Devin Leary and uh, Ben Finley last season uh, and and Bailey Hockman, but he's graduated and gone. So I'm excited to see what this NC state team does as well, but they're nobody in the the Atlantic division. I don't think is going to get past Clemson. So I think it's fair to say at the top, you have Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, everyone past that. I don't want to say is irrelevant, but I just, I just don't think, yeah, they just don't have the firepower to keep up with those other three schools. The only thing that's relevant Past Clemson, Miami, North Carolina is which team's going to mess it up for Miami or North Carolina? Which yeah. team doesn't win the Coastal because they lost a game that they shouldn't have? And that's kind of been the story that has been the case here for Miami and North Carolina over the last couple of years when they've even had really good teams and they should have been shoe-ins to win the Coastal because of a really weak division. And then on a Thursday night game, they'll lose to Duke on 10 or 15 different you know, uh, you know, know, pitches back and forth or something like that. You know, Or maybe I have the result of that game mixed up. But still, like... You look at it, those teams traditionally are losing to squats that they shouldn't. Last year was no different. North Carolina last year went eight and four. Mm. They lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost to last year. I mean, you look, they lost to Florida State by three last year. What? Lost to Virginia by three. Also another awful team. You know, they, they lost three games right there that they shouldn't have lost. I understand losing to Notre Dame and A&M, but Florida State and Virginia, head scratchers. Yeah, and and you and I was talking earlier just a little bit about you know the ret- the production that they return. They bring back all five starters on their offensive line, but they don't bring back uh, a starting receiver. And then they've got Sam Howell, and then Ty Chandler, the transfer from Tennessee in the backfield. I mean, like they should be they should be good. They should be okay. They only bring they they bring back eight starters from a defense that was not great last season. But the question is, is if that's your peak with Sam Howell and all those different targets, how are you going to go better than? Eight and four, nine and three this season. Uh, if if you're not bringing back all those receiver targets, so yeah, I think that's fair to say. You said you're more confident in Miami than North Carolina. Sell me on it. I, I I'm not opposed to it. I'm really not. Miami last year, the two teams they lost to were Clemson and North Carolina. And granted, they got smashed by North Carolina, but they didn't suffer a loss to a team that they shouldn't lose to. Whereas North Carolina did fall into that category. Coaching staffs. 
little bit different. I, truck, I trust Mac Brown a, a lot more than I trust Manny Diaz, considering his wealth of experience and the lack thereof for Manny Diaz at this point. Miami, though, is the U, is the U, why, why is the U the most likely contender against Clemson? Well, I think you got to look at the production that they return compared to what North Carolina does. They bring back 11 starters on offense. Yeah, 11 total starters and then nine starters on the defense. That wasn't great last season, but it's Miami and it's Miami talent. You would expect them to get just a little bit better. And now that they're playing non-conference games, you would expect the statistics to slide uh, in their favor. And then they've got that quarterback, Derek King, who is not a world beater, but I think he's been efficient. And I think he's going to be efficient in his 20th season in college football. And I'm just excited to see what this team does, man. I think that they can beat the teams that they should. And I think they're going to be competitive against the teams that they shouldn't, i.e. Clemson in the title game, potentially North Carolina on the road. I think they could potentially take that game and then Alabama to open the season. I don't I don't think Miami is going to win that game by no means, but I think it's going to be competitive and a lot of fun. So it's just it's just because it's the U and also you got to throw out some love to Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator, former Auburn uh, O.C., I've just got a lot of I've got a lot of excitement around this team. It's the U, man. Like they they recruit well, they play well, they're playing well right now. They bring back some some production. Uh, the rest of their division is kind of scrambling right now outside of North Carolina, and even they are are having issues. Uh, I just I think they come out on top on a in a coastal division that is uncertain uh, outside of Miami and North Carolina. Degree of confidence. I got kind of a scale here of one to 10 or something like that. 10 being, you know, they're going to upset them. One being, ah, I wouldn't go that far at all, but one to 10 Miami being able to pull the upset on Clemson. and still the ACC. Um, cause there's some belief out there. I've seen, I've seen some pro football focus predictions recently that have Miami as a college football playoff contender 10, more so than Clemson 10 being extremely confident. Like they're going to do it in one being yes. not so confident. I would yeah, say there's f- no way I would say four or five. I would it's about s- as expected. I would say four or five. I'm uh, I w- something spicier than that. I'm not ready to pull the trigger, but you know we talked about it earlier this off season. You know if uh, DJ Uyunglele is not what we think he is, and um, and Clemson's played such a soft schedule outside of Georgia. Um, they may not be prepared to face a, a really good Miami Hurricane squad, especially if Miami's hot. Um, and I'm not saying that Miami plays much of a better schedule than Clemson. I'm just saying that Miami could get hot at the end of the season and Clemson may get stunned. I would say somewhere between four and six. I'll, I'll go five right in the middle. I would say that I, I'm not extremely confident, but I can definitely see it happening. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we go back to Auburn football schedule analysis. Toughest matchups, easiest matchups. We break that down when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Let's call on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We've already heard from Spectre today. Jump on in. Come and talk to us here on On the Line 334-321-1390. Auburn football schedule analysis series. Toughest matchups, easiest matchups. Lance, I'm not saying best team here. Toughest matchup for Auburn, though. When you break this thing down schematically and when you look at the position groups, 
What is the toughest matchup on Auburn football's schedule in your eyes? I think for me, it's got to be either either Georgia or Alabama, and I'm going to say Georgia. I think Georgia is the poses the most difficult uh, uh, test for Auburn this season. Whenever you're talking about matchups, when you look at what Georgia's been able to do in the trenches, recruiting wise, they're just as good as Alabama, and they produce. Whenever you look at what Georgia's been able to do at the receiver position, they've been able to recruit and they've been able to produce. And Auburn struggled last season defending the pass. And you look at those running backs that that Georgia has, I think they're talented. I think Zamir White's going to be a pretty good running back this season in the SEC. I believe I had him in my top five whenever we ranked our top five running backs in the SEC. I think that could pose a threat to an Auburn squad that uh, that I don't necessarily think is undersized up front, but I definitely think that they, if there is an if there is a weakness on this team um and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of glaring ones outside of the receiver room i think it could be auburn's ability to stop the rushing attack this season in a 3-4 unit now i may be completely wrong on that it's just it's just something that i'm afraid of well i mean last year you look at it last year was one of their worst years of defending the run in recent memory gave up 4.2 yards per carry last time they were that bad was 2015 guess what it was a bad season 4.5 yards per carry allowed in their ball games that year, and guess what? Auburn went six and five last year. They went seven and six in 2015. Not far off that mark. So I'm with you there. Gave up 163 rush yards per game last year. Last time they gave that much up, guess what? 2015. They gave up 183 rush yards allowed per game. Last year's defense kind of similar to that 2015 defense. But guess what happened in 2016? The defensive renaissance that we've enjoyed for at least through 2019. Last year was a tough year, but I, I'm expecting a bounce back here. I don't disagree with you. I think Alabama and Georgia are the two to look here. I'm actually going to divert off, though, and I'm going to go with Alabama. And what scares me more is in breaking this down, not, and, 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 and it does depend a lot here on how good Alabama's offense is, right? Alabama's offense, when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback, was still good, right? It, everything at Alabama is going to be good. No questions asked. But it's the degree in which that it, how good is it, right? Like, is this Alabama offense going to be just as effective at passing the football as it has been the last two seasons, where you got quarterbacks that, when they're healthy, are throwing for seventy-five percent and forty-five hundred yards and forty-plus touchdowns? If that's what Bryce Young's doing, well, I, I probably I would say that I like my chances more against Georgia than than I do against Alabama. But if Alabama struggles on the offensive side of the ball a bit, I think you could look at more of a, and I'm not saying that Auburn's going to win by two touchdowns, and I'm not saying that Auburn's even going to win the football game, but I think you look at a more competitive product and a similar type of matchup than what you got in 2017 when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. It all falls down on, can Bryce Young make the throws? And I think we are going to discover that he can make those difficult, tight window throws that are capable of putting Alabama in the national championship picture this Alabama defense this year is going to be as good as we've seen it in recent memory probably the best Alabama defense I would say that we've seen since 2017 when they only gave up 11.9 points allowed per game I think this is the best defense that we'll have seen at Alabama in the last three or four years that bothers me a little bit in terms of how Auburn will be able to score the football and then while this Auburn team could be struggling on the offensive side of the ball to put points up how lethal is this Alabama offense? It spreads you out a little bit more than what George is going to do. It's a little bit easier to win a time of possession battle 
with a team that's going to slow the game down a bit, that wants to play it at more of your pace, a war of attrition, because not as many points are going to be put up, right? Georgia's not going to boat race you out of a out of a ball game because they're not scoring every two or three minutes. Alabama will score every two or three minutes and can boat race you out by halftime. That's what bothers me more about Alabama is the, is the rate in which they can sp- score compared to Georgia just by nature of different offensive philosophies. Well, here's what concerns me about Georgia as well. What Auburn's going to try to do this season, I believe, is they're going to try and run the football and run it effectively, especially early in the season as they try to break in some of these new receivers. Auburn gets Georgia, what is it, six games into the season? They, it's the sixth game of the year. They get, they get them sixth game of the year, and Georgia was first in the country in rushing yards allowed last season. They were 88th in passing yards allowed last season, but I don't think Auburn's going to be trying to do that, nor do I think they're going to be fantastic at it six games into the season. You move down the line and you have 11 games to kind of get your offensive system going, and you're coming into a game against Alabama. I feel like Auburn offensively will have a lot more things figured out by then, and uh, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that Alabama's worse than Georgia I think Alabama is definitely a formidable opponent but then also you have to take into account the fact that you know Alabama struggled at Jordan-Hare for the past decade and that's also something that I think is interesting to look at but I think Auburn offensively is going to struggle against Georgia and then you look at what Auburn was doing last season and what they could potentially be doing this year you know Georgia was able to run the football a little bit and they were able to throw the football a little bit I think they're going to be a little bit more diverse I think they've got a lot of weapons uh, I think Georgia it, it will be able to attack Auburn at, in, in a lot of different ways, and I just don't know if Auburn will be able to slow them down enough to the to the point where Auburn's offense, which will not, I don't think, be effective against Georgia uh, on October 9th. I don't think Auburn Auburn's not going to be able to score enough, and Georgia will be able to score just enough to to win that game. Uh, at least in my mind, right now, it's just a bad matchup. It, the timing of it. Uh, Auburn, Auburn trying to develop some of these guys. I just think the timing of it is off. You know, another point in your corner, and once again, both of these matchups are pretty tough for Auburn, they but are. another point in your corner that you're talking about this Georgia team, traditionally under Malzahn, Auburn game planned very poorly for Georgia. You bring up Auburn has success at home against Alabama. Doesn't matter where the game against Georgia is being played because you look at the last five times they've played. First of all, Auburn hasn't won in the last five times that they've played, but even more so, they've only scored more than 10 points one time in the last five times that they've played. And that one time they only scored 14. These are the last five results for Auburn on the offensive end. They scored six last year, 14 in 2019. Both of those scores came in the fourth quarter, 10 in 2018. They scored seven in 2017, at least in the SEC championship, of course, at home that year. In 2017, they did win 40-17. to 17. So that split result there, but still a horrible performance in the SEC championship game. And then in 2016, they only scored seven as well. So I missed that one. I missed the 2017 home matchup there when I was breaking down that stat. So two, two times they in the last six meetings have they scored more than 10. Only, only two times, one of which was a blowout at home where they dropped 40. The other time they only scored 14. So maybe I should just say only one time. In the last six meetings, have they scored more than 14 points against Georgia? Either way, the trend ain't good against Georgia. No, it's not. And and that's again, this is not to say that uh, that uh, Alabama's worse than Georgia. I think Alabama's just as good, if not better, than Georgia. But I just think the timing of the matchup uh, is just a little bit. It, it's it's going to be difficult to play both of these teams. But the timing of the Georgia matchup, I do not like. Interesting question here that I didn't plan for, but I want your thoughts on it. 
Has anything changed schematically on the offensive side of the ball that could improve Auburn's stature in these matchups or hurt Auburn's stature in these matchups? For instance, Malzahn did traditionally a really good job at being able to find enough points to beat Alabama on a semi-consistent basis. I mean, he went 3-5 and against Nick Saban. That's pretty solid. No other coach can say that they were able to do that. But against Georgia, consistently loses, and as pointed out by the stat that I just brought up with Auburn's points scored in those ballgames, couldn't score the football against Georgia. It didn't matter how bad Georgia was. Mm -hmm. I mean, 2016, Auburn could only muster seven points, and that Georgia team was an 8-5 and Georgia team. You know, they weren't very good. So when you look at it, has anything changed for Auburn offensively that could help or hurt Auburn? I think schematically – what Auburn has struggled with in the past, just overall, but then also against Georgia, especially last season, is uh, is pass blocking and how to uh, how to scheme that out. Like I've, again, I've told y'all so many times. If you're listening, go watch some quarterback film on Bo Nix against Georgia and watch how that offensive line just did him no favors. I mean, Georgia's been able to bring out all these different exotic fronts and they've been able to dominate Auburn and give Bo Nix uh, issues in the past two matchups. If schematically there's a thing that's going to get better this season that could help Auburn in a game like Georgia, it's uh, getting getting this offensive line ready. And when you look at a guy like Will Friend, he's able to recruit pretty well, but he wasn't able to exactly get those results on the field at Tennessee. The question is, is he going to be able to do that along with Mike Bobo? I think they will be able to get it done, at least compared to where Auburn was last season offensively. With, with his offensive line, I think they are going to improve. So schematically, it's going to benefit Auburn in a game like Georgia. I just don't know how much yet. The only thing that concerns me that I think could actually hurt Auburn in these matchups, maybe against some other teams in the SEC, is, and I've said this several times on air before, and, I, and I'm sure other people have said this too, are you going to line up in the trenches and try and out Alabama, Alabama, mm-hmm. or are you going to try and out Georgia, Georgia, right? The, those teams recruit the best players in the country. Just go and look at the recruiting rankings. That's that's a fact. They're top three, top four every year, both of those teams. Most years, they're both in the top three, some years even in the top two. They have some of the best players in the country. They're also regarded as two of the most physical teams in the country. You saw time and time again back in the early 2010s when teams would try and line up and hit Alabama in the mouth and try to beat them at their own game and out-muscle them. That, that didn't work. Now, things have changed a little bit since then. Georgia's still playing that same kind of game. Alabama has shifted a little bit on the offensive side of the ball to spreading you out more, but they still have some of the best. They still have the best offensive line year in and year out. Defensive side of the ball, though, they're still just as just as mean. They're just as ugly. They're just as big. They're just as muscly. Like they, they, it's hard to try and outmuscle those guys. And you've seen success from Auburn and from other spread teams against Alabama because of their ability to create mismatches out on the perimeter to be able to spread Alabama out and then hit him up the middle and make them thin. Alabama struggled traditionally against spread teams, not teams that want to line it up and hit you in the mouth. I wonder to what degree that occurs this year for Auburn, that Auburn tries to outmuscle other teams because this isn't Boise, Idaho anymore. You're no longer the biggest, baddest team in the group of five out West. You, you, you can't just line up and do that to everybody, especially if you don't have the guys to do it. So that's the other question I have. Does Auburn have the guys to match up physically in the trenches with some of the most talented teams in the country. I don't know if they do. I don't know if they do. Like, uh, like obviously, you look at the blue chip ratio and you think, well, Auburn's obviously talented. They've got those recruits. Yeah, but when you're talking about some of these tough matchups, they're going up against guys that are either just as talented or more talented. And in the case of Georgia and Alabama, I would say that they are more talented in the trenches. So it's something that Brian Harson harped on in his first press conference is that he wants Auburn to be competitive. He wants to go out there and he wants Auburn to be able to hit some guys and they, he wants them to be competitive. But like you said, Toto, 
we aren't in Idaho anymore. This ain't this ain't Pat, Mac or Mountain West football. This ain't Mac football. This is this is SEC caliber trenches, uh, and it, you're going to definitely have a tough time if you don't uh, get some big guys up front, at least talented recruits. And Auburn's not Auburn's not done that recently on the offensive line. Um, so I don't know if it would be a good idea to try and muscle it out against a team like Alabama or Georgia. I don't know if that's exactly what Brian Harson is going to do. It it kind of seems like it. Kind of seems like he wants to go out there and hit some people in the mouth and try and be be uh, physical and be competitive. But I just don't know if that's a, a the best way to approach it. And also, I don't know if Auburn can do it. I'll say this. The culture, the approach, and that's kind of what you're hitting at right there. I mean, these guys are working out early in the morning, right? Yeah. They're work, and you remember throughout the spring, he's like, you know, we're we're going to be outside, right, in the heat, and and there's definitely this tough guy mentality, you know, that that man's man kind of mentality inside the program that I don't feel like quite that I don't feel like we've quite gotten that tough guy vibe, you know, from from the Malzahn staff. You get that with this staff. Um, and so I kind of wonder, you know, are, are the big are the big men up front going to be mean? Are they going to be bullies? Because that's what you need in the SEC. You need guys that are going to push the other team around. And I, I I think they're desperately after watching last season. They they need some meanness. And let's see if they can tap into that this year. That'll that'll definitely be something that affects them in some of these more physical matchups like Alabama and Georgia, especially with the way that we could be seeing this scheme shift to more of a pro style look. Because that's what Bobo and Harson have done in the past. A little bit different in the situation here at Auburn. We'll see if it works. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk about easiest matchup on Auburn's schedule for this upcoming season. We'll be back. You're listening to On the Line. BM167 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Noah Gardner and Lance all with you for the Thursday edition of the show. We've been going through and wrapping up our Auburn football schedule analysis. We've broken down Every team that Auburn will play on their 12-game schedule. Now we're looking at matchups. We said our toughest matchup. We flopped between Alabama and Georgia there. Easiest matchup for Auburn on the schedule. And let's exclude the three cupcakes in the non-conference, Lance. Okay, so I kind of waffled back and forth on this. If we're excluding the cupcakes, I kind of waffled back and forth on who could be potentially the easiest matchup. Uh, oh, we're not talking upsets yet. I'm so sorry. Uh, I was I was reading something that I, I've prepared later for the show. The easiest matchup that Auburn has uh, in in uh, SEC play, I think it's got to be either Arkansas or Ole Miss, and I'm going to go with Ole Miss just simply because their defense is so bad. I think Auburn's going to be able to do literally whatever they want, and uh, if this defense improves at all for Auburn, uh, they'll be able to win this game handily. Easiest matchup on the schedule outside of the cupcakes. You go Ole Miss. Mississippi State's got to be easier. It might, yeah. it might be, but at the but at the same time, though, I think Mississippi State's defense is just a little bit better, and both of these teams like to throw the football around the yard. So I don't. I think the the air raid is a little bit unpredictable. And it's kind of like the triple option where one year it doesn't work and the other year it does. So if if Mike Leach has got them going in year two and they're almost bowl eligible, they're sitting at like five or six wins at the end of the year and they've got the offense is, is somewhat competent, which I don't know if that's going to happen, but it might, um, then you could see them play Auburn better than Ole Miss can. 
I'm going to go with South Carolina, the team that a couple of days ago we said had a lot of D's on their on their progress report going to this upcoming year. The other one, though, like Jacob said, I think Mississippi State's another good candidate. And I'll touch on both of these for a second. But South Carolina primarily, I just think it's a barren wasteland of talent at the moment at Columbia, South Carolina. They are in ultimate rebuild mode. Now, the thing that South Carolina has over Mississippi State at the moment is maybe a – it's still optimism, hope. It's a new coaching staff, right? They have a new uh, guy who knows a little bit more about offense, maybe. And Shane Beamer, from his experience at Oklahoma, whereas you have Mike Leach still trying to convince everybody in the SEC that he's not crazy for implementing the air raid at Mississippi State, right? So there, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of that hope and optimism at South Carolina, but I still think the cupboard's pretty bare for South Carolina in terms of talent, brand new quarterback, Luke Doty, who I don't think possesses a whole lot in the form of throwing the football in an effective or efficient way for them. So I think that that's going to, that that's going to make them very, very, very one dimensional, just the opposite side of one dimensional from Mississippi state, which either way, it's going to be easy for Auburn to stop on defense. I, I, I don't care how many times you hand it off to Kevin Harris. I don't think that's going to be enough to beat Auburn. And then I think South Carolina has a worse defense coming back this year, especially when you look at their numbers last year, gave up 36 points a game a year ago. Then they've got a much worse defense with no real playmakers on that side of the ball, no real game changers on that side of the ball compared to Mississippi State, which actually had, as you just pointed out, a pretty competitive defense regardless of how bad their offense was at times last year, regardless of how many times they turned the ball over. When you look at the Ole Miss and Mississippi State games and you take a look at ESPN's FPI predictions – Auburn give or ESPN gives Auburn a 68.4% chance to win the Ole Miss game. The Mississippi State game, it's also 68.4%. That's awesome. They give South they give Auburn a 74.8% chance to beat South Carolina, and you're right. This South Carolina team is bad. What what gives me concern though is Bonix on the road. We've not seen him perform well on the road, and we didn't see him do it well against South Carolina. And I know this team sucks. South Carolina, does it, it, they are not good. But I, I have my concerns. We'll see early on about Bo Nix on the road, though. We will. Against Penn State and LSU. Right. And, and because, we, because we just simply haven't seen, like, after those games, if he plays well, then for sure South Carolina should be, should be the easiest matchup. But because I just haven't seen it yet... Uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, I think, are going to give Auburn not a run for their money, but I think it's going to be interesting. And uh, but but o- Ole Miss, man, I think that's the easiest matchup, just simply based on defense alone. Hey, man, I like it. It's a spicy opinion. I'm not going to hate on it. I'll talk about the Mississippi State side of things a little bit more. I'll say this: I like considering Auburn's strength on defense, undeniably. I mean, even the J Boy Show recently just ranked their top five DB units, and Auburn was sitting at number one on that. I mean, a lot of people like Auburn's defensive backs. Pro Football Focus says Auburn's defensive back unit's the second best of the SEC. No questions asked. Best unit on Auburn's football team is the DBs. Mississippi State likes to throw the football a bunch. Last year, really struggled to do it with efficiency against Auburn, only scored 10 points. And now they're having to take it on the road. I like Auburn's ability to shut down what Mississippi State has schematically on the offensive side of the ball maybe even at times you know as i was saying it i was thinking about south carolina it's like which do i think auburn's easier which do i think it's easier for auburn to shut down a team that likes to pass the ball a ton or a team that likes to run the ball a ton and maybe you could even give the edge in that in that category to the, to the passing team because auburn's dbs are, are so good so that is a that that is something that i waffled back and forth on but i think the one-dimensional nature of mississippi state and what's funny is they do it by their own volition 
they choose to be one-dimensional. And, and that is a big reason why they will struggle across the Southeastern Conference this season and why Mike Leach may not be the head coach after this year. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We got hour number two coming back up at 3 o'clock. We'll continue our Auburn football schedule analysis series. What game could Auburn trip up in that they shouldn't? Who could they pull an upset on? You're listening On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lansdowne with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you. Spectre has joined us earlier in the day. You hop on in as well. 334-321-1390. Text line. Once again, if you want to text into the show, it's that easy. 334-564-1840. Keep up with all of the content. The show's been putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for all your Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. We started off the show talking about what should the expectations be for Brian Harson in his first season. We took that from a wins and loss perspective, but now I want to take that from uh, some alternative perspectives here. Not wins and losses, but what teams should Brian Harson expect to beat? What should this offense look like? What should this defense look like? I think there's a lot of different ways to take this, but let's take a look at the offensive side of the ball, which is where you think about major scheme shifts and what that could do to points per game. What is your expectations for the offensive side of the football, Lance? Well, I think the number one frustration that Auburn fans have had uh, for the past two seasons uh, with this offense is quarterback play. It's not been up to par, uh, in especially on the road. And so I think the expectations for Brian Harson, Mike Bobo, and this offense heading into 2021 has to be improved quarterback play. And what I mean by that is you got to cut down on the turnovers, you got to get better mechanics, and you got to be able to actually win a couple of games on the road or at least be competitive and not be so turnover prone. When you look at a guy like Bo Nix, who is obviously right now the, the projected starter uh he's got to be able to do all those things and i think this system is going to 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 make him more efficient uh but but i think the expectation is should be improved quarterback play and statistically i don't know how much uh how much better bonick should be um but i think it should be on the on the field product should be better auburn fans should be happy with their quarterback bonix and I'll, i'll throw a number on this you should expect the quarterback development to have results such as a completion percentage of at least 63 or 64%. Mm-hmm. Half of the league, seven quarterbacks last year that started, seven just like normal, regular starters in the league, not just like one game or something like that, but just regular starters in the league, seven of the 14 teams 
had a quarterback that completed at least 65% of their passes, regular starters. I'm not talking about one-hit wonders. I'm talking about regulars. Half of the league had a starter that that could hit 65%. To me, that should be a very attainable mark to get to 65% if you're trying to compete in this league at a high level. But I even dropped it, you know, uh, 1.5%, like 63.5%, because that's a pretty sizable jump from what Bo Nix did last year at 59.9%. So I'll just say, yeah, let's say he goes up 5% or so and gets up to 649 or, or maybe just gets up to 64 or something like that, just goes up 4%. That's still a lot more efficient of a passing game than what we saw over the last two seasons for Bo Nix, who right now is batting below 60% in terms of a completion percentage across his college football career. Even Vanderbilt had a quarterback that could get over 64%, near 65% completion percentage. This should be very attainable, and it's a true indication of, of a quarterback's development and his efficiency as a quarterback, Bo Nix has to be efficient in year three. Yeah, and uh, you, you know it's really, it's really hard to look at the marks that Bo Nix is and the numbers that he's put out and think that this kid was a former five-star quarterback. But you would expect this new offensive scheme, which played a lot. It played a big part in Bo Nix's uh, lack of development over the last two seasons. You would expect this offense to benefit him and for him to become more efficient. Uh, all Twitter jokes aside, he should be a, more focused. He should be paying attention to the routes that, that these guys are running, and he should be making better decisions. And uh, I expect that. I think fans should expect that. If you bring in a former five-star quarterback, the, a former son of a, a, another quarterback that played at Auburn, and he's her- heralded as this uh, special uh, passer, and He's got this dual threat ability as well. He should be able to play a little bit of fish. He should be able to be efficient in year three. 100%. 100%. And, and it's just, he, he's the completion percentage really concerned has concerned me over the last couple of years. I think it gets better. I think he gets like, you know, a 2% jump just on scheme alone. I think the scheme will benefit these quarterbacks a lot more than the last one. And we've broken that down extensively this week. So if you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We, we have established easily that Auburn's passing game, the way that it was orchestrated, did not do anybody on this offense any favors. It didn't do the quarterback favors. It didn't do the offensive line favors. It didn't do the receivers favors. But there's rumblings out there that the scheme is so different and that it's going to benefit everybody. And I feel like I've heard that every single year from insert new offensive coordinator, Chad Morris, mm-hmm. Chip Lindsey, Kenny Dillingham, Rhett Lashley. I feel like every year I heard someone telling me that this is going to be a much more explosive offense. They'd say that in some fall press press conference from a, from a player or something like that and then it never actually materialized but you know it's a new coaching staff and you gotta you gotta at least have some hope and optimism that it will materialize so i'll say that there's going to be at least a two percent bump to that efficiency just because of scheme alone now bo nix's development as a quarterback that that's where you get to 65 percent or greater and if he hits 65 percent auburn's gonna auburn's gonna beat some teams this year yeah if he, he really lift up that efficiency the auburn's gonna beat some teams this year here's the thing though you obviously in the past and you're exactly right with some of Auburn's former offensive coordinators there's been a lot of hype around the new scheme or whatever that they're bringing in it was like oh the offense should be more explosive I don't I I, I want to get your thoughts on this but I don't think the offense is necessarily going to be more explosive this season I just think it's going to be more efficient and then the second thing is it's like well it hasn't happened in the past it may not happen this year but Auburn fans should still expect Bo Nix to make a jump and for this offense to make a jump they should be better they should be a little bit more explosive and they sure it sure better be more efficient otherwise some fans are going to be really upset so Auburn fans while it's not happened in the past and time and time again we've gotten our 
our hopes up and we've just been slapped back to reality, I, I think you've got to be able to expect this this offense to get better at some point. And so uh, you're right. Auburn's not really seen that with these OCs in the past few years, but they've got to expect it's coming at some point. Expectations for the defense, Lance. Take that how you will. Uh, I think this defensive backfield has to statistically play better than they did last season. Uh, I think the, that giving up 240 passing yards a game, which 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 was 80th nationally, it's not going to happen this season. I think this defensive backfield has a lot of depth, a lot of talent. They're, I think they are the strength of this, uh, I don't want to say entire team because, because Tank Bigsby kind of holds his own in that running back room, but you could say this entire team, the secondary, is the most developed uh, unit of this squad. And so I expect them to take a significant jump forward in Derek Mason's scheme, and I think it's going to benefit Auburn in a lot of matchups. You look at Auburn last season from a secondary standpoint, they gave up in their worst mark in opposing quarterback completion percentage in the in the last seven years, 64.6%. Only one year was over 60%. That was in 2015 when they had 60.7% allowed. So last year, statistically, they had their worst year in pass yards allowed per game, gave up 243 compared to any of those other years in the last seven years. Going back to 2014, that, that was their worst mark. And it, the only year that was – relatively close to that within 13 yards was 2014 where they gave up 230 that was an abysmal defense in 2014 you know and they gave up 26.7 points per game so there Auburn last year felt more on the defensive side of the ball about the collective because they still didn't give up like an egregious amount of points it wasn't good but it wasn't egregious in college football they were fifth in the SEC and points allowed per game at 24.7 but neither their rushing or their or their secondary numbers or their averages throughout the year was really that impressive they were just kind of average so in the same way that we've talked about A&M defensively I kind of talk about Auburn that way it was more about the collective and keeping opponents out of the end zone which Auburn actually did a pretty good job at last year keeping folks out of the end zone it was more about keeping them from scoring touchdowns Ben don't break yeah and I would expect I would expect this entire unit uh, to uh, to to not even necessarily bend this season. I think they're going to be exceptional. I think they're going to be talented, like you said before. I think they're definitely within the range of being top five in the SEC. Uh, I think they can definitely hit that mark under Mason. I have really high hopes for this defense, but I don't want to get too hyped up. But I'll say expectations for a specific unit, secondary is going to be better. It's not has to be better. It's going to be better. Auburn had a four-year stretch of not allowing – more than 20 points a ball game. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting Auburn to get much, much closer to 20. I don't know if they hold opponents to less than 20. The game has changed so dramatically that folks are scoring the ball left and right. We saw that across the SEC last year and a 4.7 point jump or a 4.8 point jump to get below 20 points a game. That's a lot. That is a lot, even if you do have a couple of cupcakes on here against Akron and Alabama State, where you may not give up more than 10 points across your first two games of the season, right? Auburn may be sitting first nationally at points allowed per game after the first two weeks, you know, but based off of those two offenses that we've seen up to this point. But I, I think you should look at probably around 20 points allowed per game as an expectation, maybe 20, maybe 21 tops. After that, I'll be disappointed. Can I, if this defense doesn't reach that mark, especially with the level of experience on that side of the ball. Can I ask you an over-under question? Go for it. I o like these. Over-under, total points scored by Auburn's two first two opponents, five. Ooh, that, that seems... I will say over. Five? 
five. I'll say Auburn. I'll say Akron and Alabama State can combine to score more than five points. I think that that over under may be a little low. Meaning, you say ten, then I really might have a hard yeah. time. Okay, what about seven and a half? Uh, I'll still say over. I, I think at least one of the weeks, Akron or Alabama State will score a touchdown, yep. and the other one will get a field goal. So yep. it's whether or not you think that they'll score twice. I think one of these teams gets shut out. Uh, gets shut out, and I don't see the other team scoring more than seven. That's possible. I could see like a 34 to 0 shutout between one of these teams where maybe Auburn holds on to the ball for a really long time. Mm-hmm. The other team doesn't get to touch it enough. I just know that once you start putting backups in, anything can happen and opposing teams at that point begin to find ways to score. Also, squads kind of get less aggressive as the ball game goes on. Players check out mentally, bound to have points scored at some point. I I'd say a more likely over under would be 10. Then I'd have a really hard time saying that one. I would say probably the, oh man, that's so bad. 10 is so hard. I'd say under maybe on the 10 and say it's and and say and I, I agree with you, Lance, that maybe there's a shutout in those first two weeks is maybe more likely than these two teams combining for more than 10. I, I don't want to be obnoxious in this, but we're talking about expectations. If Harson wants Auburn fans to buy into what he's doing, I'm not necessarily saying Auburn needs to go out there and trounce them and score 70, but I don't think Auburn should be ta- taking their foot off the gas until late in both of these contests because they need to prove to the fan base that they, they, they want to be competitive and that they're legit. So expectations for me is for Auburn to win these two games handily. To be fair, though, and, and I'll disagree with you a little bit on that. To be fair, I don't think you prove to the fan base that you're legit by blowing out Akron and Alabama State. I think you prove to the fan base that you're legit by beating Penn State in Happy Valley in week three. And there may not, it's not, I, I don't think that it's justifiable to leave the starters in or, or keeping the foot on the gas at 100% maybe through the first two weeks at risk of injury that could possibly jeopardize a, a later on game that's more important right so I, i'm not taking a whole lot of stock into those two i think it's i think it's good for the fan base to see for for auburn to go out there and score and actually play well and to leave the starters in until the fourth quarter it's definitely cathartic i've said this many times i uh just to, to folks kind of when i talk about cupcake games like this I, I i can't stand like cupcake games bother me because there's no way i, I typically don't leave a game happy because either auburn blows the team out like they should have and I think, all right, that was that was expected, right? That was fun, I guess. But or they they underwhelm me, and I'm angry because you had a Mercer type day from 2017. You had five or six turnovers, and you looked bad winning, right? So like, I never leave these types of games happy. The first two weeks is going to be filled with early season angst for Noah Gardner. So <laughs> I mean, it's it's just such a hard mark to hit because I think you can always pick apart those first two games. Let me restate. Let me restate my expectations. I think Auburn should should win these two games and come out of them without me being concerned as a fan personally. <laughs> sure. I think that's, yes, I agree with that 100%. Without a doubt. That That's good. I like that. Last thing that I want to ask you about expectations, turnovers. We've seen at times Auburn and, and Gus Malzahn was focusing on this heavily at the end of his tenure, getting his team to force turnovers. You look at, and, and these are just some of the last seven years, you look at turnover margin for Auburn. In 2014, Auburn was plus seven. On that bad of a defense, Auburn was plus seven. They may have given up a lot of points, but they could still force turnovers. They still could get some pressure on the quarterback, and they didn't turn the ball over on the offensive side of the ball. 2015, it comes down to plus two. 2016, they have a plus three turnover margin. Believe it or not, in 2017, in that successful year, they were minus one. 
After that, we saw a huge jump in 2018 to plus nine, 2019 plus six, and 2020 last year was plus four. Where are you at on turnover margin this year? I think it's going to stay around four or five. I don't think it's going to make a significant jump uh, in uh, in one direction or the other. I do expect Bo Nix to cut down on the interceptions, and I don't expect this backfield to fumble uh, much at all. Uh, I would expect Tank Bixby to be able to cut down on a couple of the fumbles that he had last season, and I think this defense will will force turnovers at, at the rate that they did last season, or maybe just a little bit more. So I would say hovering somewhere around plus four, plus five. You could talk me into plus six. I think it goes higher than, than plus four, because plus four was what Auburn was at last year, and they, I think what you see from Auburn this season, you're going to see a more aggressive approach on defense. I, I said yesterday, Derek Mason at Vanderbilt in 2020 blitzed like 41% of the time. That was ranked 25th in the country in terms of blitz percentage, how often he was blitzing. Auburn's going to have an aggressive defense here that an aggressive defense is, although sometimes they might give up the big play because they sell out, they also can tend to force a big play and get turnovers. And on the flip side, I think with by virtue of Bo Nix may be shaving off a couple of picks by virtue of this team, maybe slowing the offense down a little bit. The turnovers come down a little from last year. I think you see about a three, uh, a plus three jump maybe to get to plus seven, plus six, maybe even closer to plus nine, what you saw in 2018. I think that that should be a little bit more expected. If Auburn's sitting at plus four, I'm, I'll, be, I'll probably be a little underwhelmed when it comes to turnover margin because that means either the defense wasn't forcing turnovers or the offense was turning it over way too much. In conclusion, for our uh, for uh, our expectations, we expect this team overall to improve by different margins and different units. But overall, they should be better than they were last season. Yes, I think you're looking at a and going back to what we talked about to open the show. We said win totals. You and I both set the expected win total expectation, bare minimum standard, eight and four, and then I I think they exceed that mark. I think they I think they find a way to land above it. Nine and three regular seasons where I'm sitting at right now as I get ready to go into media days. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're gonna have Jacob Hillman on with us. He wrote an article on RadioAlabamaSports.net to talk to us a bit about these Auburn draftees and their fits within the the MLB organizations that they were drafted to. He'll tell us about the best fits and uh, how these guys how these guys are gonna fit in at their MLB organizations as they climb through the minor league ranks you're listening to on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station on the drive with Bill Cameron analysis news and more that's all on ESPN 106.7 find the website on ESPN 8U.com wrapped up our expectations conversation about Brian Harson going into his first year offense defense win total turnovers talked a lot about a lot of different stuff there with Brian Harson. now we're going to bring on to the show Jacob Hillman he wrote an article on Radio Alabama Sports for us intern Jacob behind the door uh, behind the board here and he's a big baseball guy he's our in-house baseball fellow and follows this Auburn baseball team very closely, as well as the MLB. And you wrote an article on Radio Alabama Sports, how each Auburn draftee fits within their organization. Once again, you can go and check that out on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Jacob, the second-round pick, Ryan Bliss, Arizona Diamondbacks. Tell us about this. Yeah, Bliss went, I would say he went a little higher than I thought it would. I thought he'd be more of a late second-round or high third-round pick, but this is very much well-deserved for him. He's been great throughout his career and really – 
really improved everything as his career went on. And, you know, one thing that a lot of scouts looked at was his home run output. He hit three home runs his freshman year when he started at second base. And then the COVID shortened year, he hit two. But then he hit 15 this past year. So something about that is what the what the scouts really liked. Even though he's only five foot nine, 170 pounds, that's a lot of home runs to hit in just 50 games versus the three he hit in 66 in 2019. So the big thing for him is that he will probably start his career off as a second baseman. His arm isn't strong enough quite to be a top shortstop in the league. Now, he could play shortstop. He just won't have as strong of an arm as some of the top guys in the league. But I think that works out well because the number three overall prospect for the Diamondbacks is a shortstop. So he'll be up there. It's Geraldo Perdomo. He'll be up there in the big league soon. And Bliss will – I don't know how much time it'll take him to develop because – he kind of shows everything, and maybe it's just the little things that he needs to get better, but I expect to see him in the big leagues for sure. I don't know about a time frame, but he'll make it up there. Do you happen to know about the other ex-Auburn Tiger that's playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks? What's the latest with Anthony Greer? Yeah, I'm not sure what he. I'm not sure exactly what is going on. Minor leagues are so weird this year with the schedules and everything, but... I, I, I don't know. It's It's been a few years since he's entered the minor leagues. We'll have to see if he can... Maybe make his way because the Diamondbacks, as you might imagine, as you might know, are not a good team this year. So you never know; he might get his chance because of just how bad they are. Looks like he's still. It looks like last that we've seen here for Anthony Greer's the uh, low A affiliate with the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's the last that I've seen here on uh, MILB.com, so the you know the minor league site for Major League Baseball. Last time I've seen, he's still in low A with the Diamondbacks. That's tough, especially having been out of having been out of college for four years. Let's move on here. Richard Fitz, the big tall righty for the New York Yankees, going in the sixth round. I know a lot of people talk about this as a steal because of him not fully reaching his potential in college, but now he's getting his shot with the big leagues and with an organization where I, I, I'm going to tell you, man, I think he's going to I think he's going to look good in the pinstripes. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big thing is that it's all about development for Richard Fitz because he, he's kind of a project at this point. He could be a reliever. He could be a closer. He could be a starter because he has that durability. But it's all about how whatever team ultimately has him. Who knows? The Yankees might develop him a little bit and trade him off. We don't know. Whatever team decides they want to use him for, it, it that's what it, all that matters because if he's a starter, he's got to figure out this slider, his third pitch, or he's got to develop a fourth pitch. As a reliever or a closer, he can be fine with just improving that slider a little bit and his fastball improving speed and his changeup kind of staying where it's at because that, that reaches the upper 80s. But, yeah, it's all about development. And, of course, the Yankees being the second richest franchise in the world, it's going to be easy to have the resources to do that. And I, I do trust the Yankees to develop a guy like Richard because – just we see what kind of pitchers they have now. Plus, with the prospects, he really is one of the biggest frames. Whereas you have Garrett Cole, he's a big guy, and and that's kind of what they look for. So I could see Richard actually staying with the Yankees and then trying to work him in as some kind of reliever, long reliever, or starter because that's where he thrived at Auburn was his long relief roles. We all remember that Georgia Tech game that Stephen Williams the walk off in. Fitz pitched six scoreless innings in that game, so. I think that's where he'll end up thriving 
in Major League Baseball or even in the minors uh, throughout his time developing. How confident are you that he makes it to the big leagues? Yeah, I'm pretty confident because, like I said, he has so much versatility, he's at least going to get a, a try there, whether it's as a closer, reliever, starter, just because of he, he's already throwing the ball 97 miles per hour with his fastball. If he can make that his average, then he has a great chance at doing something in the big leagues. Does Fitz get there faster than Bliss does? No. How long does it take Fitz? I could see him being three three years. He, he's he's going to take some time just because, like I said, that third pitch has to improve. Mm-hmm. Or he has to develop a fourth pitch. Right. That That's that's the big issue. Lower picks here on this list. Ninth round, Tyler Miller, Boston Red Sox. Actually kind of went a little bit higher than maybe I was expecting. I agree to. with that. What do you think? I thought he was an early day three pick, but the Red Sox seem to have some faith in him. And the big thing for him he he's so diverse. He can play anywhere on the infield. He can even play a little bit of the corner outfield spots, but I think where he's going to make his money is on the infield at third base or second base. He played first base at Auburn, but you can that's because Rankin Wally just was so good at third base and it was just a team need thing. So Miller could play. He could play shortstop. That won't happen with the Red Sox. They've got Bogarts, but I really think that he can make his name heard at third or second base. And obviously, the big thing with him is his power. He hits a ton of home runs. He led the SEC in RBIs in the regular season. I think that's where he'll get scouts and managers to open their eyes is mm-hmm. with the power he has to that right side. Now, because I don't know a whole lot about the game and how it, how college translate to the MLB, like those numbers you just listed, Miller was pretty solid and he, he had a lot of power. Why did he go so, in my, not necessarily late, but why did he go in the ninth round? Well, it's only his first year playing major college baseball, his first full year, because he played a little bit in the COVID-shortened year, but he really only, I think he only started a few games, maybe half the games that Auburn played, and then he was a JUCO before that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that scouts haven't seen all they have to base it off of was this past year. And, of course, it was a great year. But the bigger names like like Tanner Allen, they're, they're going to go ahead of him. But it, it's one of those things where Miller has a chance to do something great with that power. How does what, – what does Miller have to do to not just get caught up in the, in the average rabble in, in the Boston Red Sox minor league organization, how, how does he? What does he have to do to rise up? His average has got to be good. I think that's the important thing because something that I've read is that scouts don't like his ability to hit the breaking ball, and if he can figure out how to hit the breaking ball, then he's, his average is going to be high enough to where they'll give him a chance in the big leagues because they know he can hit a home run, especially in Yankee Stadium, the short the short porch, and then the pesky pole in Fenway. They can he can do that easily. Stephen Williams, real quick, yes. catcher, outfielder. What is he? It's going to be a catcher. That that's his natural position, and that's where he's proven himself the most. Stephen Williams went in the 18th or 19th round to the Washington Nationals. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we still got 30 minutes left in the show. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. On the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. A big thank you to Jacob Hillman for joining us in that previous segment. 
after he wrote an article on RadioAlabamaSports.net. That's where you can go and check it out, how each Auburn draftee fits within their organization, breaking down the fit for each of these Auburn guys. We didn't get to go through all of them at depth, so if you want to go check his thoughts out, once again, go to RadioAlabamaSports.net. 30 minutes left in the show here, and we can go back to playing the lines, which we were doing back in hour number one and breaking down some of the Power 5 conference conference championship lines we ran through the sec let's go through some of the or the acc excuse me let's go through a couple of the other power conferences namely the sec at this point a look at the southeastern conference and the lines this year alabama is the favorite minus 175 georgia coming in hot there at second at plus 250 a.m third lsu fourth florida fifth auburn sixth missouri seventh Ole Miss 8th, Arkansas 9th, Kentucky 10th, Tennessee 11th, Mississippi State 12th, South Carolina 13th, and poor Vanderbilt all the way down at 14th. Lance, this seems to be uh, the the normal pecking order, but I am a little shocked at A&M as high as 3rd. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I am a little bit too. Uh, when you look at what Athlon has predicted for the SEC, they've got A&M finishing 2nd in the West, which I don't know if I necessarily buy into at this point, especially without a quarterback. Uh, th- that we've seen play for them, but um, but you know, I think Auburn should definitely be a little bit higher. What what were they seventh or eighth? Auburn is sitting at sixth on the list. Sixth, I can I can definitely see that. I could boost them up to fifth. I think that's fair because you have Georgia, Bama, uh, Florida. Yeah, I think you could boost Auburn up to fifth easily. Looking outside of Alabama and Georgia here, real quick. Looking outside those two teams. This group of four after that that are in the next tier of being able to contend. Three of those four teams actually happen to be the SEC West. But you look at A&M, LSU, Florida, and Auburn. Which of those four teams do you think should be third? Um, I, I would say Florida. I would say Florida, yeah. That's the team I feel most confident with as well. And then based off of the projections that I've said several times in the show, I'd say Auburn yep. coming after that at fourth. Yeah. But, of course, the national media and most people out there would – not uh, would not agree with me, but that's okay. We'll see it all when it plays out on the field. Bunch of haters. Why Florida, gentlemen? Uh, because uh, just their track record over the past few seasons, and then also A and M's breaking in a new quarterback. LSU's not winning a game this season. That's a joke. They're just not. I don't think they'll finish as high as uh, as uh, some some places are predicting them. But it's just been they've been more consistent. And while I don't think that they would win the conference or even get to the get to the title game over Georgia, I think that they're they're not a lock. But I would feel comfortable. And also, the rest of the SEC East um, is not is not great. I think you can just trust Emory Jones over whoever the Texas A and M quarterback will be. Yeah, I think that's also yeah yeah. Man, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. There was some shade there I felt like toward Taines King. I'm just joking. I, I know I do that a lot. <laughs> but uh, the the Florida game here, or the Florida the Florida Gators this year, you're right. Consistency, it's the epitome of it since Dan Mullen has taken over. 10-3, 11-2. Last year they went 8-4, but it was on an all-SEC schedule, and they took an extra loss at the SEC championship that they, they might not have had had they not made it, right? So, I mean, you, you were looking at if there was a non-conference schedule last year for Florida, they're probably sitting at, you know, nine and three ish, somewhere around there, the chance to get to ten and three. Had they won their bowl game, of course, they didn't win their bowl game. They lost to Oklahoma in blowout fashion, which is a big reason why I think a lot of folks like Oklahoma a lot. So interesting that the hierarchy there for A and M at three. I, I I don't know how you could feel comfortable enough to have A and M at three there with a brand new quarterback that's only thrown four passes before in his collegiate career, but they must really like 
that Texas A&M defense. Talking about the Big 12, Oklahoma seems to win it every year, and they are once again the favorite at minus 175. After that, Iowa State at two, Texas at three, TCU at four, Oklahoma State at five, Kansas State at six, Baylor at seven, West Virginia at eight, Texas Tech at nine, and go figure, the Big 12, there are only 10 teams, Kansas at 10. Uh, list off the top three for me again. It was Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas. Texas, yeah, I think that's probably the pecking order. I'd say that's pretty accurate. And there's a big jump, though, between Texas and the next group. Texas is at plus 450. Iowa State at plus 300. Once again, Oklahoma at minus 175. Below Texas, it's almost a 1,000 difference there with TCU at plus 1,400 and Oklahoma State at plus 1,600. After that, everybody else is pretty irrelevant with Kansas State at plus 28, Baylor at plus 3,000. West Virginia plus 5,000, Texas Tech plus 8, Kansas plus 15, Vanderbilt of college football, you know. But, yeah, you look at it, and how legitimate is the competition for Oklahoma this year between Texas and Iowa State? Good. Big 12 go topsy-turvy. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty top-heavy. Oklahoma State's at fifth, right? They are. Oklahoma State is at fifth behind TCU. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, TCU – Oklahoma, uh, did I say Oklahoma State at one? I'm sorry. It's Sooners, Cyclones, Longhorns, uh, Horns, Frogs, Cowboys. I think that as the top five. Yeah, that's how I'd do it. I think that's I asked fair. you this question with the ACC earlier in the show, and I said, how confident would you be in someone taking Clemson's spot? How confident would you be in someone taking Oklahoma's spot? Um, one to ten. One to ten. How confident would I be in just someone, meaning probably Iowa State or Texas? I would give it, a, I would give it a six or a seven. Really? I'll give See, you, I think I'll give Oklahoma's you legitimate it's national championship contender. Take me through that. Yeah, but my thing is like if, I, and I do think Oklahoma is a legitimate national championship contender. But if they, if there's somebody that rises above them, then in my mind, I think they would be just as legitimate as well. And you look at Oklahoma's track record; they tend to shoot themselves in the foot in, in a game or two. Uh, whenever they really need to be able to, to just kind of take control of the Big 12. I could see potentially Iowa State figuring some things out, maybe winning a game against them. I could see Texas potentially uh, figuring things out at the quarterback spot. I believe they've got uh, Casey Thompson is going to be their new quarterback. I think he's going to be pretty good. And Steve Sarkeesian and that, that offense, I think they're going to score a lot of points. So it's just the potential of an upset for Oklahoma, against a team like Oklahoma, I think is higher than some of these other Power 5 conferences. Let me rephrase the question then, and then, Jacob, I want you to take it because I know you were trying to jump in there a second ago. More likely for one of these teams to lose, which team is more likely to lose in their conference title game, Oklahoma or Clemson? I, w- I would say Oklahoma for sure. I mean, I, I love what, Ohio- what Iowa State has a chance to do this year, and I really think that they have a good chance to win the Big 12. And, of course, with Oklahoma, I, I like Texas and Iowa State. Iowa State a good bit more than Texas, but I think Texas has a chance to really – make it work this year so i don't know i just think there's two teams that are really close to oklahoma whereas you have miami north carolina that aren't quite as close to clemson so th- that's where i'm looking at something about oklahoma repeatedly winning in the big 12 championship game regardless if they lost to that team in the regular season just strikes me as like they just feel unbeatable it's like kansas and basketball winning regular season titles in the big 12 and i know recently that that you know that's been called more into question because the Big 12's gotten a little bit more competitive around Kansas. But something about Oklahoma, this Oklahoma team seems different. This Oklahoma team seems like they finally have figured it out on defense. And there's so many question marks surrounding Clemson that if Miami or North Carolina were to be a 10 or 11 win team, I actually would feel probably. I'm not saying that either of these teams will lose in their conference title game. I think both of them make it to the college football playoff. 
but I would feel a little bit worse about Clemson winning their conference title game than Oklahoma losing it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. On a completely uh, random note, I'm just sitting here looking at Athlon's magazine. I think Oklahoma State's orange unis may be some of my favorite in the entire country. I mean, it is a beautiful color. That may bump them up to four in my mind after I'm looking at it. Like they may What's overtake the TCU. Like? Does it have the cowboy on it? It's no the ca- the helmet is is orange with a white stripe down the middle, and it's the white OSU logo on the side. Moving over to the Big Ten. Ohio State still the favorite, and it's not particularly close. Minus 180, Penn State next up at plus 750 with Wisconsin at plus 800. Boys, give me Indiana. I'm like I'm not I'm not saying that legitimately. At the same time, though, if there's going to be a year that Ohio State doesn't win their the the conference, I think it could be this year. I'm just shocked that there's such a gap there. Am I yeah. wrong to think that? No, 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 no. You're right. Like I, the, Ohio State probably should be favored. Um, but the 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 gap there, I think, is a little a little too big. I think there are definitely some other Big Ten teams that are chomping at the bit to uh, to take take over. I don't think Penn State should be second either. I'm expecting Wisconsin to win it in, in the uh, season opener. Mm-hmm. They they play week one. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there I don't with you. This Penn State team to be very good at all. I actually think Iowa will probably have a better year than Penn State. I can see that. I can see that. I'm not. I'm not mad at that take. So it, it should be. It, what about Indiana? I mean, Indiana's in the same division as well. Yeah. So in in our minds, would you say that it's fair to say, in terms of like potential to win the conference, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, or would you put Indiana higher? Hmm. And the the teams listed after Wisconsin, it goes Iowa, Michigan, Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Michigan State, Maryland, Purdue, Illinois. This is to win the conference, right? Yeah. I feel like the reason why teams like Penn State and Michigan are listed so high on this list, even though the average person predicting them out there is is not predicting them to, to have a major bounce back year, for instance, Michigan, it's the name value, right? You trust a bet on Michigan maybe a little bit more than you trust a bet on Indiana, even though I think all of us would agree in the studio that Indiana will have a better year than Michigan this season, right? Uh, Jacob just shook his head no. <laughs> do, so. No, no, no. I shake my head no as in do, we, does, do people really trust Michigan anymore? I don't think they do. No, I think. Uh, why in the world do they? Why in the world are they plus five hundred more than Indiana in this? Uh, a name value. I do like think that. I'm trying to get at it's the name value. See, I, I just don't think that people really believe that Michigan's going to do better than Indiana this year. People might also just think Indiana they'll go back to mediocrity. But we have to look at what this is. This is about winning the conference. Which team? historically, would you feel more confident and would have a chance to win the Big Ten, Indiana or Michigan? And the easy answer is Michigan. Yeah. Well, it's his, that's historical. We're talking about right now, today. So you you like Indiana, and I would too. I, I think I think this Indiana team's better than Michigan, but I do think that factors into how some of these are said, is that if a team is going to pop off and shock Ohio State, some folks out there may say, well, because of the talent level at which they recruit, they might say that it's Michigan over in Indiana. That's fair, but I just I just think that Jacob says those people would be wrong. <laughs> what Indiana, yeah, what Indiana shared last year, I think, is enough for me to say they will finish above Michigan this year because they'll get Penix Jr. back. Yes. Jacob and I are in the same boat. I think I think Indiana's not. I'm 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 not saying that they're going to win the conference, but I'm just saying I think they'll have a better season than Michigan. Who gets the closest, or is Ohio State the most likely power conference favorite to get knocked off? We've we've gone through all the power conferences. 
which other than the Pac-12, which should that even be considered a power conference anymore? <laughs> the, the AAC because we're running out of time. ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, and SEC. The favorites: Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson. Which um, which of them's your your most likely to get knocked off? Is it Ohio State? Uh, I'm saying Oklahoma. I'll say I'll say Ohio State. Who gets the closest to the Big Ten? Then is it Indiana, Wisconsin, Penn State? It's 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 uh, it's either Wisconsin, Indiana, or Penn State or Iowa. One of the four. I think I think I think it, it, you could rotate those those guys out just depending on how hot they they are heading into the conference title game. My issue with the Big Ten is that it the teams that I think would beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship are in their division. So That's I right. think that Indiana they would have the chance to beat them. Penn State I don't think they're that good, but they're another team. I just don't trust anyone in the West to do that. Maybe Wisconsin, maybe, but those other teams, I really just don't see them knocking them off in the Big Ten championship. And I just feel like throughout the season, teams will lose uh, that are in the East, and Ohio State will, even if they get knocked off by Indiana, they can still find a way into the championship. Give me Purdue, baby. Come on. <laughs> yeah, poor Purdue. They're sitting down there at, uh, wow, only plus eight. Illinois is worse at plus ten. But Jeez. I'll say this about Wisconsin. Track record against Ohio State last five seasons. They didn't play them last year. Last time they played them was 2019, Big Ten title game. They lost by 13. They lost 34 to 21. I don't, I don't remember that game though being consistently a two-score ball game. I feel like Wisconsin was a little bit more competitive than what that score may suggest. Close. They got blown out in the regular season though, 38 to seven. What were you saying, Jacob? Yeah, I was saying that that Big Ten championship was close. It's just, like I said, I don't know. The Northwestern they had their chance last year, and I just don't see like an Iowa knocking off Ohio State this year. Definitely not. And I want to keep going through this track record with Wisconsin because they've been close with Ohio State. 2019 was kind of the outlier year. They didn't play them in 2018. and 2017, played them in the Big Ten title game, only lost by six. They were undefeated going into that ball mm-hmm. game. Lost to Ohio State. They uh, didn't cover their line, but did, did only lose by one score. And then back in 2016, they played Ohio State and went to overtime and only lost 30-23. to 23. So I think the track record suggests that Wisconsin's probably the team that gets the closest. I think Wisconsin's the second-best team in the Big Ten this year. They need Graham Mertz to go off. And they also need a running back to emerge True. because they're returning leading rusher from last season. His name was Jalen Berger, and he only had 300 rushing yards. Someone help me understand the fascination with Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz. We saw him pull out a logo when all this NIL stuff was going on. Last year, a 61.1 completion percentage. 1,238 yards, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Sounds like Bo Nix. It, it does. Six, it does. See, I think the reason is that we only saw him in six games. And what he did in the first game was insane. Against Illinois. Correct. <laughs> Correct. But still, I mean, that's, that's the fascination is look what this guy did in one game. He didn't get a full season. I can't wait to see him in a full season. Scares me about this guy. He did his stuff against Illinois and Michigan, dropped 45 and 49. And then he scored a combined 20 points over the next three weeks against the best teams left on his schedule. Northwestern, Indiana, and Iowa only scored seven, six, and seven in those ball games. Kind of sounds like Bo Nix, guys. It really does. Really, a random question uh, before we head to break: Who would you rather have for Wisconsin, Jack Cohn or Graham Mertz? Who would you rather have start? At this point in his career, considering Graham Mertz is only redshirt freshman, I'd say Jack Cohn, but it's not by much. Okay. It's not by much. I think Jack, and speaking of teams that will probably be underwhelming this year, it's Notre Dame. Jack Cohn cannot push the ball down the field. That oversimplifies offenses. 
not a big Jack Cone guy, but PFF likes him and some other places out there think that he's going to fit in fine at Notre Dame. I'm, I'm curious about how that how that works. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk about the NBA Finals last night. Phoenix Suns, Bucks, they're tied at two and two now. Who's got the edge moving forward? How are this? Have the scales tipped in favor of the Bucks? We talk about that when we come back. Thursday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Also joined by Jacob Hillman behind the board for us today. NBA Finals, Milwaukee Bucks 109, Phoenix Suns 103. Series is tied. I did not expect this. Jacob, you were right, my man. You were right. Home team has taken both of these games so far. Now, at this point, I kind of wonder if the scales have tipped in the favor of the Milwaukee Bucks when it looked like the Suns might have been taking this thing in four or five. Now we got ourselves a series, gentlemen. Yeah, I'm not sure if it... The- the tide has shifted, but it, yeah, it's a series for sure. Lance and it's been it was really it was a really frustrating game to watch because the Suns were were in control early, like they were they were on fire early, and then Milwaukee climbed back into it. It was back and forth, back and forth, tied at fifty two at the half, and then that third quarter, uh, the Bucks finally uh were able to draw a little blood and take the lead, um. And and Phoenix didn't didn't really recover, and they weren't able to necessarily keep up. Like they were just kind of kind of uh, slightly behind the Bucks for the rest of the game. And then that block uh, that Giannis had on Aiton on that lob, and I'm gonna be honest, the the lob was not where it, where it needed to be. I w- I would not be shocked as e- even if Giannis wasn't there, that Aiton was a- wasn't able to con- complete that dunk. It was a little too high. But after that I, point, I think they went on like an 8-4 to four run, and then the game was over. I think if the pass was better, it would have been an easier block for Giannis to make, to be honest. It was it was a t- it was not the play that they needed in the moment. No. Have you guys ever, I'm sure both of y'all have seen Toy Story 2, right? Yes. Yeah. Y'all, y'all know that part where they're trying to break into like the little apartment to try and go and save, uh, to Woody. go and try and save Woody. And the dinosaur Rex says, uh, says, you want me to use my head? Yeah. That is the equivalent right here. Milwaukee Bucks approach to the NBA Finals. You want me to use my head. And what I mean by that, you look at their, their shooting compared to the Phoenix Suns. Milwaukee's over here shooting 40%. It feels like I, I say that on a nightly basis. Phoenix Suns over here shooting 51%. Still find a way to lose. But the discrepancy here in free throws. This is all about aggressiveness. I, I, I'm not, I hate that the story of the NBA Finals so far has been about officiating. And some of that is deserved because it has, it has at times appeared to be one-sided, especially when you look at game three. But 24 of 29 at the stripe is the Bucks. That outscores what Phoenix did at the, at the charity stripe, 16 to 19. So you look at it, plus eight in free throws made were the Milwaukee Bucks. They win by six. Do you want me to use my head? It's, it is it, it is literally just beating on the backboard all game long for the Milwaukee Bucks and finding a way to draw fouls and, and scoring the old-fashioned way. Well, see, they shot the Bucks scored shot 40%, even with Drew Holiday's going four for 20. Yeah, poor Drew Holiday. If he, like, he, I swear he has the layup yips. Like, it's bad. But if he can figure something out, he's still getting seven assists and three steals, so... He deserves to be on the floor because his defensive ability, and he's only turned the ball over once. But if he figures out any kind of scoring, then I think the Bucks could easily win the series. Here's my issue with Phoenix, though. Like it, in the last couple of minutes or so of that game, like the Suns had the ability to either like it was tied and they could have taken the lead, or they had the 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 ability to reclaim the lead, and Paul would get across the timeline and just like fall on the floor. It was weird twice, like back to back. It's like, dude, what are, what are you doing? Like you don't just turn the ball over in that situation. Like he didn't necessarily even trip. Like it looked like if anything, he might have gotten fouled. And he just kind of 
Fall on the floor. Chris Paul has not been the same since game one. Yeah. No, worst, worst plus minus on the team, actually, in this game. He was minus 10. Nobody else was there. Uh, the, the worst one was uh, – the next worst one was Cam Johnson at minus nine. So, uh, yeah, Chris Paul was definitely uh, a hindrance for the Suns. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow to wrap up your work week. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.